Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ivory Man Coffee Podcast. We're the podcast for people who care about coffee, and I'm your host, Brian Sheely. Joining me today, as always, on episode 41 is my co-host. He is the one and only titan of tonic. He is the karate kid of the Kalita, Mr. Brian Bikey. Hello, Brian. Hiya, everybody. <laughs> that was good. Did you do a high kick along with that, too? I, don't, I didn't have anywhere to go after that. I just kind of left it at the hiya. <laughs> hey, so get in your time machine, man. Do you remember way, way back when we took over the podcast from Alex on episode 16? Do you remember one of the first guests that we ever talked about having on the show with us? Uh, Matt Perger. <laughs> no, he couldn't be here today. <laughs> uh, but guess Tim what? Tim Lindelbo. The, see, yes, all of those people. But Hold I'm, on. Are you talking about Maxwell Mooney? <laughs> I am. Uh, you may know him uh, as the professional barista at Spotted Cow Coffee Company in Mill Creek, Washington. You may have also watched his performances at the barista competitions on the live stream and you may even follow his delicious dairy doodles at Seed Bearing on Instagram. <laughs> Maxwell, thank you for being on the show with us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> dairy doodles. Yeah, dairy doodles. <laughs> we talked about having you on the show like really, really early on, but we never actually followed through with doing that episode. We, we were going to have you come on and actually do a whole spiel on home espresso machines, which you know we still have, haven't even done that episode. So Nice. Maybe um, someday soon. Yeah, maybe someday. Steve Reinhardt got in there with some uh, other gear, which was a, yeah. That was a good one. Yeah, that was that was a fun one. But yeah, you know, uh, I'm okay with being your Plan B. So hey, <laughs> you're never our Plan B, buddy. It's it's you're you're always Plan A. <laughs> uh, yeah. So thanks for being on the show with us, and we are going to talk on this episode all about uh, coffee science, which is uh, super nerdy for us coffee. Uh, nerds out there, uh, but hopefully we're going to talk about things in such a way that no matter who you are, beginners, moderate, in, moderately interested in coffee or coffee, big, huge nerds like ourselves uh, can get something out of this episode. So thanks for being on the show to talk about that. Before we get into talking about you and getting some more backstory about who you are, we're going to start off the episode like we always do, talking about the coffees we've been brewing. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Maxwell. All right. What you been brewing? Well, uh, today I've been drinking some of Slate Coffee Roasters Othaya from uh, Kenya. Some fresh crop stuff. Mm. Harvested uh, in January. So happy to be sipping on some of that. We uh, At Spotted Cow, we just got our pre-ship samples in for, or our uh, arrival samples for uh, a new Kenyan coffee. So I'm happy to be sipping on some beautiful Kenyans again. What, uh, are you brewing that like in the shop or are you brewing that at home? Uh, the slate. Yeah. Oh, definitely at home. Yeah. I also brew my own coffee. <laughs> that, well, that, that is shocking. That's crazy. We are surprised <laughs> to hear that. Um, what, uh, what's your preferred brew method at home or what have you been brewing that coffee on? You know, I'm, I'm just a classic dude. I really basically brew V sixties all the time. Um, nice. yeah, even if my wife and I will share and split one, we usually do like a, 35 gram batch in an O2 or something just split that so pretty much our V60s get all the airtime around here right on Brian how about you man what you brewing so this actually is not something I'm brewing at home but I just was really excited about it kind of like Maxwell was and so I got to talk about it but I was at Novel Coffee earlier this week and we had cupped some uh, 
some new coffees that they got in too. Uh, it was a sample roast from Adido nice. that they have coming in, and um, it's tasting so great. I just uh, again, we've you and I have talked specifically about early arrivals of washed Ethiopians last year. Mm-hmm. And it was just really nice to actually, I had a, a Guji from Populous too, that for a new crop, Ethiopia has been really nice, but this Adido was just, I mean, it's, it's such a lovely Ethiopian coffee. So I've had it, you know, from numerous places and counterculture has it. It looks like a lot of places actually have it this year. So I'm sure I'll be hopping around a couple of different roasters, just seeing, what it's like from other people. It's it's one of those coffees, you know, I countercultures had it, Kickapoo has had it, and then I don't really keep track of who else has had it before, but then last year Novel had it and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And the sample from this year is just super promising. So I can't wait for them. I don't think that that's released yet. I think it just kind of arrived in and I'm just real excited to see what they do with it and to get it on the menu. It's gonna be so tasty. But yeah, so we cupped that and it was it was really nice. So I'm I'm real excited. It was it was a little uh old from the sample roast, but you know, again, just was great on the table, really jumped out, just real excited for it. Cool. This is this is kind of a weird uh whatcha brewing segment because normally we, we feature coffees or we talk about coffees that most people could probably go out and buy. Um, we don't always do that intentionally, but, uh, I think that just generally happens when we buy coffees and then we talk about them. Um, so apparently, uh, the coffee from slate that Maxwell talked about is not currently available. Oh yet. no, that's definitely available. Oh, is it really? Oh yeah, for sure. <clears throat> not on their website. Oh yeah. Well, it's available in, in the shop anyhow. Okay. Uh, if so, you really, really want some, you can probably send me an email and I'll go find some for you or you can uh, shoot them an email. Dude, you're going to get so many emails. So you're going to get an email emails. from me right after the show. Boom. Um, so not currently available on Slate's website. Uh, the Adido is not currently available at Novel Coffee's website. And the coffee that I've chosen this week is also not available on oh, Augie's man. website. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, my choice today is uh, a coffee that I got as part of the Augie's Coffee subscription that I have. Um, it's why I end up talking a lot about Augie's Coffees, because I have a subscription, and they're always sending me coffee every month, so that's great. Um, it is the Kenya, also a fresh crop Kenya. It's their Kifahari. Um, it is really, really juicy. Uh, we brewed it up this morning as uh, our office coffee on the Chemex, and it's just full of stone fruit, you know, peach and, and all that stuff, and uh, really nice melon kind of sweetness going on with it um definitely dug it had a really it almost kind of like a smooth uh almost creamy body to it but uh really really enjoying that and unfortunately you cannot yet buy that i'm assuming (laughs) they'll have that available on their website at some point uh but currently that's not available so just a little bit of teasers for everybody. A little bit of teasers. Uh, yeah. Something to look out for. So following up from one of our previous teasers, uh, Max. Yes. You, sir, um, have been into coffee for a very long time. Yeah, a and couple minutes now. Just a few minutes. And uh, you've been super active on social media. You've been super active on Instagram, you know, with all of your latte art as well as everything else. Um You've been super active in the barista competitions and everything else that you've been doing with that. I've even 
stumbled across some videos of you uh, talking about latte art and espresso machines and various <laughs> things at Seattle Coffee Gear. Yeah. Um, so you're everywhere. Give us a little bit of backstory about how you got started with coffee and uh, what you're kind of up to now with Spotted Cow. Yeah. So um, I always trace my my coffee story back to a really incredible 16-ounce caramel latte that I had at Zoka Coffee in Kirkland, Washington back in like 2009. And um, at that time, I didn't know it, um, but that was arguably one of the best coffee shops in the world. Um, they had the first production Slayer on bar at the time, and they had a ridiculous number of single-origin espresso options <laughs> before that was really a thing. Um, and people were coming from all over the world to have it. <clears throat> and um, I just stumbled in and ordered a 16-ounce caramel latte. I met with a friend for coffee there, and um, it was the first coffee I'd ever had in a ceramic cup from a coffee, from a coffee shop. Uh, and the microphone was just incredibly delicious, and it had a beautiful rosette on it. So from then on, I got, I got hooked. Uh, at a similar time, I was using um, a website called StumbleUpon. I don't know if you guys have used that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so StumbleUpon, for those who don't know, is uh, sort of a website randomizer. So you can just click, you know, stumble, and then it puts you onto some sort of a website related to various interests that you have. And I had ended up clicking coffee as one of my interests, and it threw me onto Coffee Geek's uh, page, so coffeegeek.com. Um, and then I just fell down the rabbit hole. <laughs> That's easy so, to do on his page. Yeah, it is. There's so much information. I ended up running into homebarista.com as well, and so. I got super into coffee on those things and bought a little home espresso machine, a Cuisinart EM200, um, and bought a grinder and started teaching myself how to how to make espresso and how to make uh, latte art and all that fun stuff. And so that got me really into coffee. And then um, from then on, I jumped into the professional world. Um, my first shift, so I started working. I was hired at a company called Cafe Ladro, um, and the very first shift, my uh, boss at the time, uh, she called me to tell me that they were hosting an in-house barista competition to see who would go on to represent Cafe Ladro uh, at the Northwest Regional Barista Competition. And she said, you know, knowing that I was really interested in coffee, she she recommended that I go check it out and uh, thought that it would be cool for me to watch. And <laughs> being me, I was like, well, can I compete in it? <laughs> and so they let me do that. Um, and so my very first day working, I signed my paperwork and then drove down into Seattle and uh, did the in-house barista competition and ended up being one of the three representatives they chose to to represent the company. Um, so that was like my very first official company event. <laughs> wow. Um, so, you know, by that point, I had I, had a good amount of, of coffee knowledge um, coming into that and was able to uh, make coffee fairly well then. So from then, um, I took a small break and sold pest control down in California um, for a few months to try to make up enough money to uh, get myself finished through school. And then whenever I came back up, I started working for a company called Spotted Cow. And uh, it's a... It, Whenever I started, the company was about 11 years old, uh, and it had just been acquired by new owners maybe nine months before, and they wanted to keep kind of developing the coffee program. And so during that time, they had hired a, a guy by the name of Josh Montoya, who had some experience um, with Verve out of Santa Cruz. He worked for, I think, one of their first wholesale accounts called the Abbey. I think it was a church, church account or something like that, and they had a nice little coffee bar. So he started working on roasting coffee 
uh, a little bit more the lighter style, I guess, than what they were doing before. It was still a little bit more developed than um, kind of where my palette is at and where my interests lie. But um, yeah, so I ended up taking um, the coffee program there, started helping with sourcing and doing the training stuff and been working on developing our wholesale programs and those sorts of things. So yeah, been there for almost three years now. I know we've we talked a little bit before, like on online. Drew Moody has had Spotted Cow. Did it, when he first tried Spotted Cow, was that before you were part of the team, or were you part of the team and just things were different? Then? That was right uh, toward the beginning of my time at Spotted Cow. So he he reviewed the Christmas blend, um, and this was before I was officially running like the copy program or anything like that. I was still kind of uh, cutting my teeth in the company, and so um, yeah, we were, we weren't roasting coffee quite to that same approach that we are now we weren't sourcing with as much intentionality and transparency uh and just our bags weren't very clear they didn't have a whole lot of varietal information or origin information available for anybody who was curious um and those sorts of things so and it was roasted a bit more um definitely a lot more developed than than we're roasting now and it was actually a little bit of a lighter roast at the time for what we were what we were doing at the time um but you should read the review. It's, uh, I think, the spirit, of, the spirit of Christmas blend. It's worth checking out on corner of the table or a table in the corner of the cafe. Um, yeah, he he rightly so uh, ripped it a new one, and I, <laughs> it was it was a little bit of a wake up call for for everybody at the at the shop, uh, and so that put us into full blown like handling business mode. So we that sort of started the genesis of a rebranding effort, so that we could properly label and uh, put the necessary amount of information on the coffees and that subsequently spun off an entire rebranding effort. Um, So yeah, uh, I was able to start kind of sourcing coffees a little bit more philosophically in line with the way that I like to drink coffees and what I think is important for the industry to be doing uh, as far as transparency goes and those sorts of things. So the next batch of reviews, we sent him every coffee that we had. And every time he's reviewed our coffees, we sent him our full lineup. Um, and he's been much more <laughs> impressed with our coffees. And Brian and I have both tried your coffees. It's been on the more recent side of things. But I have I think I probably speak for both of us that we've both been super impressed. I'm kind of going back looking at my list of favorite coffees from last year. And I never really had uh, a count of how many of those are. But I'm, I'm seeing your name at least three times in there. So awesome. with the Kemwanji Peaberry oh, and the Aramo, which before that there was even, what was the natural that came before that? That was like my favorite natural until that was uh, Wanago. Oh God, it was amazing. Yeah. And then <laughs> the, even the Java Sundra, yeah. I thought was really fantastic. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. That's that's among a series of, of several coffees that we were able to try. And again, I know Brian has as well. But so now what's interesting about that is a little bit is so so we're talking a little bit tonight about coffee science. Yeah. So what I what I kind of want to get into or lead into is so you're roasting these great coffees and coffee drinkers like us or like Drew or something like that, you know, we we are now seeing these coffees and like, oh yeah, these are these are great. What does what does Mill Creek look like? What does the demographic of people look like who who most often try Spotted Cow? And, and how how do they see the brand or how do they see the company? Or how do you explain the the 
the science element of coffee and what it, what does it look like to them? Like, are, are do you have a bunch of coffee nerds that, that come into the shop? Yeah, so um, we don't generally explain the science of coffee to people unless they're sitting at our slow bar. And I generally start with a question, something that goes like this. Uh, I hope you're like, how are you doing today? And then I basically ask them how nerdy they want to get. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, if we can get as nerdy or not nerdy as we as you want today. It's totally up to you. Um, and a lot of people usually are just like, you know, I'll just wait for my coffee. It's cool. Um, but yeah, so I guess uh, I, I'd like to actually start whenever I first started there um, and the kind of the folks that were drinking coffee there whenever I first started uh, because whenever I first started there uh, in for the month of August, we sold, I think like seven just straight espresso shots for the entire month. Um, wow. So it wasn't really a, a coffee consuming culture really. Um, and I think, um, I think, like six months ago is the last time that I checked on this, but we sold like 140 double espressos, just straight shots um, for the whole month, which isn't a ton, but it's still quite a bit more than what we were doing before. Um, and I think a lot of that started with us making information accessible, but also not force feeding that onto people. And so the average person who comes in, like our, our average drink is probably either just a, a latte, like maybe a vanilla latte we make our vanilla in-house, so that's a really popular option, um, or a white chocolate Americano still gets ordered a lot. So uh, we have quite a few people now who are pretty serious into coffee, uh, but that's been a lot of us, like kind of working with folks and, and taking time to explain these things. And a lot of our staff has just been s stoked on coffee now, and so they're able to um, – help kind of explain stuff to people and mostly just to be excited about a coffee. Um, the passion it, it, that comes with really loving coffee is a lot of times it's something that makes everybody else want to try something new too. So, it, I mean, get, going back, maybe look, rolling back for some of our listeners who might not know as much about Spotted Cow, Yeah, um, you guys have you know, you're not necessarily just a destination for coffee. Like a lot of oh. coffee shops are just coffee. Yeah. Um, what What else are you guys doing to draw people in? You yeah, know, besides we, just coffee? so originally we started out as a as an ice cream shop, uh, which is where kind of where the namesake of Spotted Cow comes from. So we we moved uh, into Gelato. So we now serve uh, Gelatiamos. Gelatos. They're out of Seattle. We have 24 pants. So uh, we're kind of this hybrid shop between being like a, a coffee roasting shop and also a little gelato shop uh, and so we we get a lot of overlap we definitely are more of a coffee company now but uh, yeah yeah a lot of people come in with that that sort of thing as well so. well it just seems like you would get a lot more opportunity to sort of have conversations with people who don't know as much about coffee yeah with, and we do with that other option another thing that's uh worth noting is that we're not in like seattle we're out in the suburbs um which definitely impacts sort of the, you know, we're, we're basically the only coffee, sh like specialty coffee shop around. And so we don't have a whole lot of other people who are getting exposure to these shops unless they're in Seattle and spending time there and that sort of thing. Uh, and we're just far enough out of the city that we don't have a lot of, uh, of other like coffee professionals hanging around the shop as much or like serious coffee enthusiasts. We get uh, quite a few who roll through, uh, but it's not like an everyday thing like you'd find in some of these other shops in Seattle that I know and love. So let's say... You know, you've you've got somebody sitting at your slow bar. Yeah. You know, you're making them a drink, and you do present them with this question: How nerdy do you want to go? Um, 
explain kind of lay down the science of coffee because i know you know we could go down the rabbit hole really quickly about you know all of the different facets and variables about coffee and things and maybe we'll do that near the end of the episode but start us off kind of explain the basic science of coffee like what is the the basic building blocks that that bring us from beans and water to an actual cup of coffee yeah absolutely um so generally, whenever somebody sets a slow bar, I usually start talking about the farm, actually. Uh, and I'll just kind of explain, um, like, the notions of terroir and that coffees from grown in different places taste differently based on a number of factors, being, like, the microclimate of the actual farm, you know, depending on what side of a volcano it's on or something like that, um, the varieties that the coffee actually is made of. Um, Using apple metaphors is really useful there. A lot of people know the difference between a Granny Smith and a Red Delicious Apple. So I usually will talk something about that. And then uh, we talk about processing methods quite a bit. Um, And we always have a natural on our menu um, simply because it helps people have a different understanding of what happens during those processing and what makes those coffees taste so much different. Uh, And it usually can help people understand that coffee it doesn't just taste like coffee. Um, so we usually start there and, uh, whenever we're talking about and helping people decide on which, which coffee they'd like to buy. Um, I'll usually start with kind of that. And then when we talk about the actual science of things, um, and, and why I think it's important to, for folks at home to know, uh, is just because the way that you, you brew, you can, it can help you brew better to know what's happening while you're actually brewing. So, uh, it starts obviously with the coffee itself and then it gets ground and grinding is really important. And most of the folks who are listening to this podcast, I imagine, are familiar with the importance of having a burr coffee grinder and why why that's important. But uh, just as a quick thing, uh, you want your coffee to be as even in grind size as possible. And this is because uh, the way that coffee extracts, uh, the finer particles will end up being more extracted by the same amount of water uh, and which can lead to bitterness. And then the bigger particles can be under extracted where they don't, the water doesn't have access to all the coffee particle. And so you only get acids extracting out of that. Um, so having an even grind is really important. Um, so I usually mention something like that. And, and we get a lot of people at the slow bar who want to step up their coffee at home. And that's always the first thing that I recommend is having a good burr grinder. Uh, and I'm particularly partial to the Barazza series of grinders, as I think you guys are as well. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, but from then on, um, yeah, the extraction is an interesting thing, right? So coffee has uh, a series of things that happen when you add water to it. And it, different chemical chemicals come out uh, when you're brewing. And coffee is really complex. You know, it has upwards of 700 components, chemical components, that uh, lead to a aroma or taste, which is a lot. <laughs> and so, um, understanding the way that that, hap- that that series happens helps you brew coffee better. And so, we generally start with talking about uh, how much of how much of coffee is actually soluble. So, how much, whenever you add water to it, how much coffee can end up in the cup. And it's roughly 30% of the mass of coffee. So if you start out with 10 grams of, of coffee solid, so coffee seeds or beans that are ground down, um, you can end up with about 3 grams worth of that in your water. Now, not all of that stuff is tasty, though, <laughs> which is where the over-extraction starts coming in. Um, after about generally 22, but 
um, at least according to the SEA standards. But um, if you have a really good grinder or if you're sieving your coffee, um, you can end up getting into the 24% range sometimes, uh, which will, uh, before you start getting into bitter components. So uh, explaining those things is important uh, in a slow bar setting because people want to know why you're doing coffee by hand. <laughs> right. um, and so being able to do that by hand really helps you uh, control it and, and keep your coffee from over extracting. Uh, but yeah, so of that 30%, your first like 18, zero to 18% of coffee extraction is acids. So these, those things, they, they extract quickly and in high concentrations. So, you know, a, a really easy way to taste this, uh, is to just bloom your water and then just taste that bloom water. Um, so if you do a pour over or something, just pour, you know, twice the weight of the coffee in water, uh, and taste that first bit. And it's super like concentrated. It almost tastes like espresso and it's really sour. Um, so yeah, that's the first bit there. And then the next like 18 to 22, 18 to 24%, something like that is, is sugars, which dissolve much more slowly, uh, and in lower concentrations. And those generally just balance out the brew of coffee. Um, and so whenever you're trying to dial in a coffee or something, you generally are shooting for the most acids and sugars that you can get without getting into the bitters, uh, so much. So we generally will talk about some of that stuff. Um, but that's a lot of times that's more in training our staff. And if people want to know how to make coffee at home, we'll talk about some of that stuff as well. Let me backtrack a little bit. Sure. We're when we're home brewing, a lot of times we'll talk on here about various ratios or people yeah. at, you know, will shoot us a line saying, Hey, what ratio are you using for this? What ratio are you using for this brewer? What, what are we actually talking about? I mean, so we're talking amount of coffee to water, but why, I guess, is ratio a factor? And what would be the difference between, let's say, a 14 to 1 ratio and a 17 to 1 ratio in terms of what you're talking about when it comes to extracting a cup? Absolutely. So a number of years ago, uh, the SEAA, which is the Specialty Coffee Association of America, uh, produced a, a brewing chart. They're called the Coffee Brewing Control Chart. And on here, uh, they have uh, uh, two axes. One of them is strength or concentration, uh, so how much coffee solids per water is there, and then they have an extraction percentage, which is how much are you actually removing from the coffee. And they did a big study of American coffee drinkers and found that most American coffee drinkers prefer a coffee that is a strength, so how much concentration is there, how much solids in there. They prefer a strength that's between 1.15% coffee and 1.35% coffee. And then they found that the average American coffee drinker preferred extraction that was between 18% and 22%. So how much you actually removed from the coffee. And that's, those two parameters create some sort of a box uh, that we would call optimum balance. And so brewing ratios are designed or, or useful in helping you get into that box in an easy to understand way. So... Um, whenever you brew coffee at a one to 16 ratio of coffee to water, so you use one gram of coffee per 16 grams of water, uh, that just helps you get in, in a ratio that's going to give you a, t a cup of coffee that's in a concentration or a strength that's enjoyable for most people and at an extraction ratio that's enjoyable for most people. Um, yeah, so those ratios are just kind of general helpful starting points to help get you there. You know, for the majority of people out there, I would imagine that uh, they don't have the ability to measure in the ways that you're talking about. Uh, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the strength or the percentage extraction. Yep. So, you know, if somebody's brewing coffee at home and maybe they decide to follow a recipe and they're, you know, going through and, and they use the one to 16 ratio or, or whatever the recipe's calling for and it's tasting off. Yeah. Um, kind of break it down. What, what would you do if it was tasting off or, or depending on how it was tasting, what would you do to adjust it? You know, without having any of these tools to really know, uh, the numbers that you're actually talking about. Yeah. So I actually, I don't own a refractometer actually. So, um, all those extraction percentages, I, all I do is I use that as a theory to help me understand what decisions I need to make in brewing to help make coffee taste better. So your first thing, if you're, if you brew up a cup of coffee and you use the ratio and something doesn't quite taste right, um, your first step is just to ask like, what about this coffee tastes wrong? Um, and so if it tastes like kind of weak or watery or just, you know, kind of flat and boring, you can start with, um, like maybe that coffee isn't strong enough. And so your grind is probably too coarse or your coffee brewed too quickly. So you could find up your grinder, um, and get a smaller particle sizes to help the water take longer to get through your coffee. Or if you're making a French press or something like that, just let your coffee steep for longer. And that will uh, necessarily increase the amount of extraction that's happening. Um, so, or if you have the opposite and you get this coffee and it just tastes really bitter and kind of, you know, not very good, you can say, okay, maybe I'm over extracting my coffee. Maybe I'm taking too much out. And so I need to dial back on how much I'm taking out so you can coarsen your grinder or reduce the amount of time that you're steeping it for or the amount of time that the water's in contact with the, the coffee. So you can kind of take this, those different approaches. Um, you know, if it's tasting, sometimes coffees just taste off. And, um, you know, if you're just starting out, generally you can work on your own personal skills. But after a while and you get comfortable with your skills, um, sometimes it just turns out that you have a coffee you don't enjoy as much, which is uh, very likely to happen sometimes. But, yeah. I think uh, that's kind of a hard thing to nail down to for a lot is. of people. And I, I get questions like this all the time. I actually just got one today. Um, you know, somebody sent me a message on Instagram was like, Hey, I'm brewing up this coffee on the Chemex. I'm using a one to 16 ratio. Like the recipe tells me to do mm-hmm. and man, it's just tasting super roasty or like yeah. super dark or bitter. And so uh, like my first suggestion obviously is to say, well, maybe you're over extracting it. So, you know, like, like you suggested, maybe it's time to, you know, tweak some things. Maybe yeah. you should adjust your grind setting. Maybe, maybe even change the ratio a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day, you could actually just be dealing with a coffee that might not be roasted very thoughtfully or carefully, yeah. or it may just not be a very good coffee in general. Yeah. Um, or just a different style than you like, you know? Sure. Yeah. So I, I think that's kind of hard to, to nail down, but, but like you say, you know, if you, if you kind of start to develop a routine and a habit and you kind of know that your skills are there then maybe it's something else. Yeah. So that is, that is always another option that, that, that maybe <laughs> it it's not what you're doing. Maybe there's actually something else going on. Let me ask you this, Maxwell, when you're changing a parameter, mm-hmm. just for some, for some folks, you know, if, if somebody were to suggest, Hey, it's, it's tasting a little heavy, you know, you could say to course in your grind, and but you also could say to use less coffee yeah. and keep the grind the same. Now, and the same with the other way, if it tastes a little weak, 
you know, other others might advocate to just updose. Mm-hmm. And when you're updosing, you're actually just tightening that ratio. So you're taking yeah. what might have been a 16 to 1 ratio and making it a 15 to 1 ratio or or, or just 1 to 15, however you want to look at it, yeah. whatever, coffee to water. And you're, and you're tightening it versus keeping the, the ratio the same and just changing the grind setting. Yeah. So you can get the same percent extraction, but what are the differences that they might that people might run into taking one of those routes versus the other? Totally. So um, part of this is just knowing what type of brew you like. So like if you're going anything tighter than a 1 to 16 ratio, so if you're going to like a 1 to 14 or a 1 to 15 even, um, and you're getting a good proper like 18 or 20% extraction, um, then you are like you have officially moved into the stronger than average concentration range because in order for you to get a 20 or a 22 percent extraction out of uh, a 1 to 15 ratio your strength is up in the 1.4 to 1.5 range um so right. you're you're brewing quite a bit stronger of a cup of coffee and so a, a lot of it depends on if you like that or not you know if you if you tend to like coffee that's a little bit lighter in body and those sorts of thing updosing's not going to help you because you're just giving yourself access to more coffee solids overall and so you know the, you you have to kind of figure out what you like first and then kind of go from there and and a lot of that takes time and uh, <laughs> just tasting a lot of different cups of coffee over the, over a while but um generally speaking i don't do anything under a one to 16 ratio. Cause I know that I don't like coffee that that's, that's that strong. I like coffee. That's, um, kind of in the average range. Um, so if it's anything smaller than that, then I, I will explore other parameters first. And this is all, this is all real interesting what he's saying. So I, I'll backtrack just a bit. So for when he mentioned the 1.4, what he's referencing there is the total dissolved solids yep. or what you might say is TDS, which is the percent of solids of the coffee that are in the in a sample of coffee. Yeah, so so it's the amount. So 1.4% is the amount of like the solids that are in the brewed cup of coffee, um, and then you can use that information to find out like your the amount that you've taken out of the actual coffee solids, and that's the extraction yield or the extraction percentage. But what you said is, is pretty crucial. It's really interesting because I, in regards to to what you like, so. There is not necessarily a right or a wrong answer to how someone would like their coffee. Absolutely. You, it's fine to still like it at 20% at a 15 to 1 and it be stronger. Yep. Now, th- what's interesting, and this goes back to what you were saying before in re- in regards to this box, and we probably brought it up just kind of overviewed before imagining this box, but when you're at, let's say, a 14 to 1 ratio, mm-hmm. in order to get an ideal extraction, it's going to be a stronger cup, but there's ac- there's also more possibility for it to be uh under extracted or or yeah. is it under extracted under yeah there there's less room in the box for you to fit in at that ratio likewise if you go to too far of a ratio when you're brewing like let's say a, a 1 to 17 or a 1 to 18 or something yeah. then you have the possibility of getting a lighter cup that is still well extracted but you also have the possibility of over extracting yep. the cup at that point. Yeah, exactly. So, um, it, yeah, getting into the extremes, it, if you, if you want to hit like that box, then you get all, it's a lot more difficult to do that. You have to be really precise. 
So a ratio is really useful in that it kind of gets you at a good starting place, which is why you see a lot of roasters recommending like a 1 to 16 to a 1 to 17, I would say, is the most popular. Every now and then a 1 to 15. Um, and funny enough, part of that, I, uh, it depends. I actually use a 1 to 15 for full immersion methods. Um, right. I do the same. Yeah. I do a little bit tighter than a 16. Yeah, just by the way, because of the way that the coffee extracts, it's uh, I like the slightly tighter ratios on that, but, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting to kind of play around with those things and figure out what you do enjoy. Um, but yeah, usually I honestly don't mess with the ratios too much. Um, I usually will, will look to other parameters first just because I, right. you know, I know that those ratios will, will get me into that box if I'm doing it right. And this is what I was, I was kind of leading into this next question. So if I'm using 10 grams of coffee and 160 grams of water, that's a 16 to 1. Yep. But so is using 20 grams of coffee and 320 grams of water. Absolutely. So what's the difference that people are going to see on dose? Because some people's issues might not be the grind size, and it might not even necessarily be the the amount of coffee that they're using. Or, excuse me, it might not be the ratio what they might be running into is just a, a dosing thing in the time that the brew is taking. Can you talk a little bit about the time and about dose and what might be proper or how to, you know, either troubleshoot that way or totally. things that you might be looking for? Yeah. So I'm going to break this down. Um, this can go a couple of ways. I'm going to break it down between like normal filter coffee and espresso. Cause they're, those are two very different, different ball games. Um, but, but generally for, a filter coffee, most brewers are designed to have like an acceptable dose range. Uh, and especially the pour over styles, you don't want to go too far in the, in terms of having a small dose or too big of a dose. Um, like a, a, a V60 is a really good example here. So if you take 10 grams of coffee and you try to make a small brew out of that with a, an O2 size V60, the filter paper is not built for that small of a dose. And so it won't restrict the water enough to give you long enough of a contact time to get a decent tasting brew out of that because you only have 10 grams of, of coffee to hold back that water. When you have a larger dose, you have more coffee that can help you retain that water, which is needed to get you that contact time that you're looking for. So just having enough time to extract. Um, and so you, you kind of have a bit of a range that you can work with, um, which is, you know, generally speaking, I wouldn't make a Chemex that was like a 25 gram dose or something because I just need more coffee for that brewer to work the way that it was sort of designed. So actually that's let's, let's get down to brass tacks here. Um, brass tacks, brass tacks. Right we, are do, we have brass tacks on, on stock here at the Audrey Mountain <laughs> coffee podcast, and we're going to get to them. Um, Noted. <laughs> so give give me the actual dose, like recommended dosage. Cause you, you, you kind of talked about some of the things not to do with the Chemex. Like if you got a 20 some odd gram dose for a, for a six cup Chemex, yeah. what, what do you find to be ideal for like, say an average V60 O2 sure. versus a, versus a average six cup Chemex? Yeah. Um, like what, what, where is so, a good starting point? Like, uh, let's start with the V60 O1. So I, I'd be looking for like a 15 to like a 22 to 25 gram dose maximum on those little guys. Uh, and an O2, I'd be looking at uh, 25 grams to 35 grams. Uh, and then a six cup Chemex and an eight cup Chemex, they're actually using the same exact filtration method and the same general shape of the brewing bed. So you want to use the same amount of doses for those, uh, at least the same range. So I generally stick to like 
45 grams to 60 grams in a six and eight cup Chemex. Uh, and I've, I don't have enough experience with the big 10 cups or anything like that. So I can't really give you any recommendations there, but, um, yeah. And then I don't use the three cups either. Uh, I've never used them anyway, so I don't really have any recommendations there. <laughs> um, and the Kalitas, the little guys are roughly the same as the V60 ones and the, the bigger ones are roughly the same as the O2s. Uh, in my experience. And then French press is obviously kind of based on the size of the French press. Um, but I would just weigh out how much water the thing can hold and then, you know, pick a, a ratio around there. I think that's super important to, for people to pick up on just the fact that every brew method is going to have sort of a sweet spot kind of, uh, batch size that you should be using with it, you know, to make sure that, it's not going to under extract or over extract to make sure that you're balancing all of those variables out together. Well, it's a, it's a flag to consider too, you know, just in, in to about wasting time or wasting coffee. I, yeah. I get some messages from people sometimes, you know, they're just, they don't want to keep wasting coffee dialing in, but maybe a flag should be, am I using an appropriate dose size for the, to, for the brewer? So I'm using it the way that it's intended to be used and then maybe look into some of, of the other, parameters that could be causing an issue yeah or, absolutely you know, that you want to that you want to tweak but keep going sorry Maxwell. Yeah, no no worries dose size is is really crucial for pour over style brewers or like dripper styles um and full immersion methods you you know you can they're all roughly the same so you can use as much or as little dose as you as you can up to the amount that the brewer can hold but like an aeropress is really interesting you know you can use a 25 gram dose in an aeropress and then uh bypass or add extra water after the brew is done um, to get you, you know, your full size brew or whatever. Oh, can you? You certainly can. I guess uh, I shouldn't really touch the AeroPress world at all, Mister Third Place Champ over here. <laughs> I, I've been told I can't write on that anymore. All so. right, noted. But I am competing in an AeroPress competition this I, weekend. Oh yeah. I think Max actually has uh, beaten your description of the AeroPress from our from our uh, AeroPress oh, yeah. episode that we did before. <laughs> Brian obviously compared the AeroPress to this, you know, Frisbee-like device. Yeah. Upside down Frisbee. Upside down Frisbee. (laughs) Come on, Brian. What is the AeroPress, please, Maxwell, from a professional? The uh, the AeroPress is basically a giant syringe that doesn't have a needle on it. I mean, why didn't we think of that? This is why we have professionals on the episode. This is why you have guys like me around that shoot you text (laughs) messages afterwards. They're like, seriously? (laughs) I kicked myself. Maxwell's going to become our new podcast like, editor and be like, guys, you got to cut that. Come it just on. doesn't work. <laughs> just insert syringe. Oh. Well, don't insert. Right. Sy- Never mind. Wow. <laughs> We've gone there. Yes, we have. I, I expect to see some sort of an illustration that has a an AeroPress <laughs> as IV or syringe injecting yeah. coffee right in the bloodstream, you know? That's, I'm sure it's been done. I'm sure it has. <laughs> if it hasn't, then I would really like to see that happen from someone who's more talented than myself. Real, real quick. Can we can we jump back into the espresso thing real quick? Yeah, do it, do it. Please do. Yeah, so dose size and espresso is a whole different ballgame. Um, and a lot of this has to do with a variety of different factors. But espresso baskets are made within certain specifications, uh, particularly like the VSTs or your precision size baskets that are they're made to hold a certain amount of coffee. Um, and generally, espresso is really interesting because for most espresso machines, they, they give you the same amount of water. Uh, throughout the entire brewing process. And so the amount of coffee that you have and the fineness of that grind is the only thing that slows down that brewing process. And so if you have like a, a 
let's take a 20 gram VST basket for instance. So those holes are cut to hold coffee that is expected to be ground at a setting that would work with 20 grams of coffee. And so if you start using 15 grams of that coffee and then you, you have to fine your grind up a lot in order for that smaller amount of coffee to do the same amount of holding back work, um, the grind size, those small particles will end up in your cup a lot more. And so you get a lot more gritty of an espresso or something because the basket's not intended to hold that amount of coffee. Um, and so using kind of a, a recommended dose in those baskets is a good idea, um, simply because the baskets are made that way. And a lot of places, you're like, you know, depending on if you even have an espresso machine at home, but um, figuring out what size of a basket you have is really nice. I think most of the, like, stock baskets are, like, 16 grams or something like that. Uh, but I recommend getting, like, a VST basket or, or one of the more precision-style baskets so that you not only know what size it's sort of built to hold, but you can also... Um, know that it's made well because most of the baskets that are out there are just not good at all um, a lot of them will have clogged holes like the punch didn't even punch out all the metal in the basket and um, they're pretty rough but so having a good starting place for dose in an espresso machine is usually based on the basket size that you're working with and you don't want to updose those things too much either. If you don't have enough headspace in your espresso machine, portafilter, um, so the headspace is the amount of, of space between the top of the of the puck and the shower screen in your espresso machine. And so if you're like locking in your portafilter and you're getting a, a little indentation from your shower from the little screw that holds it in or anything like that, then um, you're not getting enough headspace. And so uh, that will make channeling happen a lot more readily because the there's not enough space for the water to accumulate and create an even column above the above the dose. So espresso machines have a pretty pretty specific set of dose sizes that you should be working within. Now, I don't want to drag us down like an even deeper rabbit hole yeah. this this late in the podcast, no but one question that I just I always notice online whenever you talk about or post something about espresso, and this is not I'm not specifically speaking U.S. I'm just I'm wanting to talk in general. I find way more than filter, there is such a variety of parameters that people see for appropriately dialing an espresso. Yeah. Like, so I have I have a coffee from Verve in right now, and on their site they recommend like nineteen point seven in, and that <laughs> it doesn't matter that it's that it's a you know a tenth of a gram, like two tenths of a gram weirder than like a point like a point five or yeah. a point you know just a solid number. Not even talking that. It just it's nineteen point seven in. 31 out so that's wow. that's not even a it's not even a two to one yeah or whatever it's just super tight but then you have other places that are doing maybe 18 and a half in 40 out yeah 45 out shorter times longer times totally i mean is is that too much to get into at this podcast do um, you think of just the wide variety of espresso and well I, we can we can touch on it real quick so a lot of the reason that that happens is because espresso is way more challenging than brewing coffee, um, just in like a pour-over setting, in the sense that the coffee itself is uh, much much more important in how you pick a brewing ratio or something with espresso, because espresso is not forgiving at all. So any slight variances uh, end up making things like really amplified in uh, the end product. And so part of the reason that we see so many different recommended parameters for espresso is due to style um, and also 
preferences for the people who are who are developing that as espresso. So, um, coffee that is roasted a little bit more darkly um, is more soluble, so it's it more readily wants to jump into water and hang out with water. Um, and coffee that's roasted lighter is less soluble, um, and so the lighter roasted coffee is really dense, and you need a lot more water to, to extract it. And so lighter roasted espressos generally want to have larger ratios. So like a 1 to 2 or a 1 to 2.5 or something is pretty common with the lighter style espresso, like lighter style roasters that are recommending, you know, that for that coffee for espresso. Um, whereas something like Verve, um, not to say that they're a dark roaster, because I would definitely not say that they are, but their espressos tend to hit a little bit stronger development. And they like that kind of shorter style shot because it's really rich and has like a lot of body and those sorts of things. So espressos very much uh, comes down to style uh, that you like to drink and style of coffee that you're even starting with. Um, so, yeah, that's just the sheer number of variances in recommendations a lot of times comes down to that. Kind of going back to, to filter, you brought up uh, roast level and roast development yeah. as being a factor in solubility. Mm -hmm. um, for filter brewing or pour over brewing, um, I think one of the reasons why, you know, if you kept the exact same grind setting with the exact same batch size, as many variables as possible, the same but you used a coffee that was roasted at very different roast levels. Yeah. What are you going to see? Like, what's the, what is the big difference that you're going to see in the end cup? Is it going to take longer? Yeah. Is it going to taste different? Is it, well, do you, you need to adjust with... something based on roast level? Totally. So, I mean, if you're starting, if you're holding every single parameter, the exact same, whenever you're doing pour over brewing, which is really hard, really hard because to do of, just because of how much, we influence the pour, you know, just in like how much water is being added and stuff. But theoretically speaking, if you kept everything exactly constant and all you did was switch out from like a dark roasted Brazilian coffee, which is very like, not, it's not very dense. It's very soluble. And then you move to a lightly roasted Ethiopian coffee. That's really dense and something like that. Uh, that Ethiopian coffee would end up brewing much more quickly at the same grind setting. It would be way under extracted compared to the darker roasted coffee because that coffee is already more soluble. It's already going to be wanting to donate its solids to that water um, versus the lightly roasted coffee that's already, like, it's high grown, so it's more dense anyway. It's going to be much less willing to donate its its solids to the water. And so you're going to end up with, uh, like, a much weaker and, like, sour cup of coffee with the Ethiopian one in that case, and then a much more um, strong and probably a little bit more bitter from the dark, the darker roasted Brazil in that case. Um, but in a more practical sense, whenever I buy a coffee at home uh, and I'm starting, you know, I, I buy, like, let's say I have, um, you know, that darker roasted Brazilian coffee, I would approach that quite a bit differently than I would with the lightly roasted Ethiopian coffee. I would probably use cooler water, and I would use a little bit tighter of a, of a ratio, um, just to keep from extracting too much, because um, I want the acids to be a stronger role in that Brazilian coffee, just to add a little bit of balance. Um, and then the Ethiopian coffee, I would brew with hotter water, I'd brew with finer grind, um, with the intention of getting a lot more contact time. Um, and you could even introduce agitation or something like that. 
Um, but those are sort of the ways that I would just approach brewing those things if I was going to start completely blind out or something. Yeah, so you, you laid out a few very important variables that we haven't yet touched on. Yeah, um, incredible number of variables it's it's amazing how many yeah. what what color shirt you're wearing while you're brewing yeah um, if you, very if important you brew in celsius or fahrenheit you know <laughs> so you know you talk about water temperature why is water temperature such a big thing and what's the range where should people be starting yeah, yeah. so um I'll, I'll back up just a little bit so coffee brewing is is basically just a science lesson in solubility so that's just the willingness of, of one thing to go into another thing. Um, generally a solid to go into a water or uh, some other sort of solvent like alcohol or something like that. And there are um, different things that you can, uh, that you can manipulate to increase the rate of solubility. Uh, and so those are particle size, um, agitation or um, movement. Uh, time actually isn't one of them in overall solubility. Um, but it is in ours. Uh, so uh, what else is one of the other ones? Oh, the temperature of water and a couple other things. And so in coffee brewing, you um, the major variables are the temperature of the water, which is what you were asking me about just now, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, agitation, which is like stirring or something like that. Uh, basically movement within it. Um, particle size, which is grind size. So... Uh, by grinding finer, of course, so you increase the surface area or decrease the surface area of, of something. Um, yeah, and then just the amount of water that you use. And time is important to us in brewing. Um, increases solubility. But that's you generally as a function of other things. But water temperature is really interesting. Um, and the SEAA has a standard of 195 degrees to 205 degrees Fahrenheit as like what you want your bed temperature so where the water and the coffee are in contact you want your temperature to be between that range so generally not the starting of your kettle yeah not your kettle temperature but the actual brew bed so um you lose quite a bit of heat just from the pouring of water from the kettle and those sorts of things so i usually keep my kettle set at like 209 Um, but i found it really interesting lately one of the trends that i've noticed is that a lot of people are actually starting to experiment with different temperatures of water Um, and I've heard through the grapevine from a few other people that um, there's a guy named Rusty Angel. He works for Bun. He's been playing around with using temperature to pinpoint certain flavors in coffee and holding the brew bed at that temperature for a longer period of time to extract all of those components in that brew bed, uh, which is a really interesting idea. Um, And I've seen a lot of people in the AeroPress competitions brewing with sort of unorthodox brewing temperatures. you know, like the AeroPress itself, I think says like 170 or something. And Ben Jones, I think was brewing with like 180 degree water or something. And I think Brian, you've done some temperature like, uh, things, right? Monkey business. Yeah. Yeah. My, the one that I (laughs) used for the regional last year was I started at like 110. I used two different temperatures. So I did like a 110 and I did another one that was like 203 or 205 or something. So the, the end result was, somewhere in the like 140s when it came out but yeah there's a lot of people who are using that the 170s and 180s brewing on the aeropress yeah like just necessarily speaking um temperature is going to affect which chemical compound compounds in coffee that you have access to so it, you know using a lower temperature will reduce those certain things that you have access to and this is why people like that cold brew method right um because 
because you don't add the heat, you don't even have the ability to to so, uh, to to have access to those compounds that um, can end up contributing acid and some of those other things. Um, so yeah, temperature is uh, an interesting one. <laughs> There's such a wide range that it makes it kind of hard to to figure out exactly what what to work with. But I usually just keep my temperature at a, a relatively constant at 209 or something. But if I get a darker roasted coffee, I generally lower my temperature quite a bit. Um, yeah, but that range is the 195 to 205 is kind of the recommended from the powers that be at the SCA. <laughs> yeah, so there's a, a lot of a lot of variables there with your water that you can play with. Yeah. And one of the other ones that you mentioned uh, was agitation. Yep. So... What so, is agitation and how does it happen? Yeah, um, agitation is the introduction of movement from a human being. Um, and then there's another form of movement in, inside the brew bed. So that's like stirring, usually. So if you stir a coffee or something like that, um, or how uh, high your water is when you're pouring a kettle or something like that. Um, but coffee also has its own sort of movement that happens during the off-gassing period. Uh, refer to that as turbulence. Um, yeah, so a good example of where I would use agitation is in those larger batched Chemexes. Um, you know, I, I generally stir quite a bit in the beginning of, like, during the bloom phase just to make sure that everything's saturated, or to make sure everything's covered by water, but also to help increase that saturation. Um, and that's an easy way to think about this from, like, if, you, if you're not a sciencey type of person, is to think about, like, whenever you get a glass of water and you, you have ice in it, getting it cold really quickly, all you have to do is give it a quick stir and it, everything gets cold like almost immediately. Um, and so that's a lot, uh, that's the exact same way that coffee works, um, that you get more, more contact with the surface area and that helps the water absorb more coffee more quickly. So, um, agitation is really interesting because, because it's such a human thing, it's a little bit harder to control, but whenever you, whenever, if you want to experiment with agitation, you want to kind of pick um, a specific type of agitation. So I'm going to do three stirs on this one, uh, and then you can kind of adjust from there. But yeah, so that's one of the other main ways that you can affect solubility and extraction. So I've, now coffee. early, early on, you mentioned the different stages, like in the very oh, beginning, yeah. you're getting a lot of acids and out stuff. So is it going to make a difference at which stage you're adding that agitation to depend on what element of the coffee you want to draw out? Uh, like, can you draw out more acids or do if you agitate in the beginning or later draw out maybe more sweetness by agitating at a different time? I generally agitate at the beginning just because it's safer. You're not going to over extract as easily during that. Um, and I can't speak to the other things. I don't know for like a scientific fact, if agitating later on, like a minute and a half or two minutes down the road is going to increase um, extraction of sweetness or something like that. Um, but I know that I actually tend to stick away from doing an inverted style AeroPress because of the agitation that it adds towards the end of the brew cycle. Just notice a little bit more muddiness and those sorts of things. Uh, but that's purely anecdotal. Uh, and I know I'm going to get a lot of flack from people for saying that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Todd Goldsworthy actually had an interesting thing to say about agitation at the end of, I think it was his, the 2013, um, Brewers Cup championship. He talked about, uh, agitation toward the end of a brew cycle. Uh, interesting, interesting thoughts. But typically speaking, I stick to the beginning if I'm going to agitate. 
That's a lot of stuff to digest. I know. There's a lot in there. Could you imagine if you were sitting at the slow bar and you said, yeah, I want, I want to get geeky, and then, <laughs> and then that's an, the conversation. An hour later. <laughs> just just essentially go to the coffee shop and turn on this podcast, and you can have that very conversation with Maxwell Mooney. So, I mean, with, with all of this, though, I mean, all the variables, all the complexity and everything else, you know, at the end of the day, like, is coffee really approachable when there's so many ways to mess it up like this like i mean brewing coffee at home it's really not it's not too hard um we can make it as complex or as simple as as you want like at the end of the day you can break down coffee my friend brandon paul weaver um he always says just add water until it tastes good um (laughs) and like that while being maybe a little simplistic is not that far from from the truth uh, you know, and, and most coffee, if it's roasted well, it's going to be pretty forgiving. It's going to taste good when you brew it, even if you mess it up a little bit. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't sit there and measure the temperature of my brew bed and refract everything after I'm done and everything. I use a scale just cause it's easy to be a little bit more consistent that way. Um, but you know, it's not super hard to do. Um, and from a home brewing perspective, you know, um, I, I, I think it's, it's more of just figuring out if you want to, to be a geek about it or not. Um, right. You know, and and if you are and you're somebody who gets excited about, like, the intricacies of brewing coffee or something like that, um, whenever you interact with other people, it's important to realize that not everybody likes that sort of thing. Uh, and, and just to keep it simple and just say, hey, you want a cup of coffee? <laughs> you know, something like that. Because um, it, it's not that hard. You know, we can, we can get complex with it and, and think about it. But, you know, generally speaking, you can – make a cup of coffee taste pretty good. Uh, you could always make it taste better, but you're still going to be miles better than your cup of Folgers or whatever. So, Yeah, I think for most people or most listeners that it is easy to brew a cup at home, and this is simply just if you want to explore the possibility of making it taste better. Yeah, exactly. Different approaches that you could take in order to see if you can find that. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know what, what everybody who listens to the podcast is like, but I know for me coffee is a bit of a hobby even, you know, it's just something I like to tinker with and, and enjoy kind of uh, messing around with. And it, it's my replacement for like RC planes or, you know, music gear or whatever. Right. So Maxwell, unless you have something else, I think we're going to wrap this up. No, we've, uh, we've hit on a lot of amazing, <laughs> amazing points as we try to do with our guests. Uh, if people would like to find you or spotted cow or anything, how can we find you out there on the web? Absolutely. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Maxwell A. Mooney, uh, and you can find Spotted Cow at Spotted Cow MC. On Instagram, you can find my personal account where you'll find photos of my family and beer usually <laughs> and some random coffee photos. Uh, you can find me at Maxwell A. Mooney. If you want to see some nice milk doodles, you can follow at Seedbearing, all one word. And if you'd like to see what spotted cow is up to you can follow spotted cow coffee company or just spotted cow coffee all one word on the instagrams on the grams on the grams well dude thank you so much for being here we you're definitely going to come back at some point and and continue our discussion about probably about espresso seriously uh, espresso that's what i was gonna yeah because yeah. we could we could really go down the rabbit hole pretty deep with that as well we just scratched the surface on a lot of stuff so yeah you're, you're definitely There's so much to talk about definitely welcome back whenever you have a a bone to pick (laughs) whenever you want to get back to to brass tacks with us noted it'll mostly just be whenever you guys use like you know uh an aeropress reference or something yeah 
All right, everybody. You can find us on Instagram at iBrewMyOwnCoffee. You can find us on Twitter at BrewMyOwnCoffee. Uh, if you want to check out the episode notes for this show, it's iBrewMyOwnCoffee.com slash 41. And if you want to send us a note or an email or ask us a question, you can click the contact us link at the top of the page, and we'd love to get back to you and uh, help you out in any way that we can. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next week, happy brewing, everybody. See you guys. <laughs>